The reading is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, verse 25 to chapter 5, verse 2 from the Common English Bible. Therefore, after you have gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. All right, looks like, oh, okay, it's good, go for be it. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. The word of God for the people of God. All right, welcome all. Apologies, I missed a uh, language piece on there. I know that we, uh, if you haven't noticed, if you don't notice, we try to understand God as a more expansive being than um, what humans would understand who God is. And so we use language that expresses the beauty and expansiveness of God. So we try to use um, lots of different gender and images and all that. So apologize for missing that one this Sunday. All right, so back with you today. Uh, Sundays are always uh, this pattern of, you know, most preachers, if you've ever gotten to know a pastor, kind of like by we get everything done, we try to have things prepped, and then, you know, things happen and things, you know, just kind of keep churning on. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're live every Sunday, uh, because I have friends and colleagues that they record on like Wednesday or Thursday. And then they just put it out. And then if anything happens between Wednesday and Saturday night, they can't really do anything about it. And so we get to, in some ways, uh, just be in the moment, right? So we we don't seek perfection because we can't go back and take another take. We just kind of, just like when we do when we are gathering in person, we just are gathered in this space. And so grateful to be with you because I think part of the joy of coming together in any space, right, especially in Sunday and for worship, is to know that we are kind of being like we're together and I know that this for some people hasn't been ideal for others you come to really enjoy this medium uh, I know we all want to know what everything is going to happen in the future about how we gather and I think what it's going to mean is that we're just going to have to continue to be open to the ways in which we connect with one another as we continue to move through uh, the pandemic and all of the ebbs and flows and cycles and chapters however whatever metaphor you want to use so I'm grateful for you all today as we think about what it means to be our community, First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto. I do want to talk a little bit about today, this Ephesians passage that comes through. I've, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if I've ever preached a series on Ephesians. This is, I think, a really meaningful uh, uh, epistle 
targeted towards a congregation, a church that is is has you know been around, and they it's like it's a church, and we're hearing Paul and writers kind of say, "Here's how you be church." Now that you've been church a while, here's the things that you need to begin to think about. There's some problematic stuff in Ephesians, as we know, around marriage and women, but there's also some you know some really powerful things about how we interact with one another. And the warning is, how does the church not become just about itself? That's really, Ephesians, if you want to take it in all one thing, is how do we not just become, all of a sudden, we just become about ourselves? And so there's all these admonitions as well as kind of encouragements throughout that roll back and forth. And uh, one of the things that we are hearing about today is this understanding of how we engage with one another in times of conflict. It begins with this stop lying because there's this moments around how we interact with each other and, 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 and bearing false witness and those kinds of things. And so we're kind of like, okay, now that we're not, we're not just blatantly lying and deceitful and all those, how do we go about actually encouraging account, holding accountable, talk to each other, lift those things up that, that are in, in us, you know, you, that phrase, you know, uh, don't let you know the sun go down on your anger. You know, many of you. I mean, I'm terrible at that, but many of you may hold that where you just you can't be angry going to bed and all those kind of things. So I'm going to talk about that today a little bit and how we engage together in this really difficult thing around being truthful with each other. I touched upon this last week, um, knowing that this is a congregation that has not always been able to do that well, and I know that. Again, historically, churches are often terrible at dealing with conflict. It's just a, I think we buy into this idea that when you come to church, everybody just loves each other and gets along and we're all just supposed to be nice. And that, that like, that's just, I, one, that has never been church. But two, it's like this false ideal about what it means to be community. It just is not real. And so what we do is we retreat into these kind of, I think, dangerous tropes and positions that I think strip away the complexity of us as human beings. And one of those is, like, if you can't, like, don't say anything. If you like, it's better not to say anything and just to hold it inside rather than to what is perceived as making waves or to, uh, you know, kind of rock the boat or whatever. And, and now some of you are really good at this, right? I know some of you kind of pride yourselves at being the, the, the person that pokes at things. And I'm not saying that, I, I hope that um, none of our intents like, I don't feel like our main intention is always to disrupt, but if the words we say create disruption, that's different. So um, I'm just curious, like, uh, and you can share in the chat, um, you know, you know, this idea, right? If you can't say something nice, don't say, what are the kinds of things that you've been told that you're not supposed to talk about or you're not supposed to bring up? And again, share in the chat, this doesn't go anywhere. There are prayer team sees the prayers, but so this doesn't get recorded and, and shared out, but so only share what you're willing to share. But like, what are the kinds of things you've been told to, to you don't talk about this or even, you know, even in cases like, uh, you know, this is an off, to off topic, uh, off limits topic in family conversations because it does, of course, it, de it, it depends greatly, right? I mean, it is, I am not saying now everything that comes into your head, you should just go ahead and put it out there because that, that's also not, as that's not a responsible way of being in community. Just like, like never say anything that might possibly make somebody angry is also not a responsible way to be part of community. So of course it depends, right? In my family and my extended families, there are certain things that we have that we don't talk about, and I think it's unhealthy that we don't talk about. 
And there are things we don't talk about because it would create pain or trigger trauma, or it is just something that in the, in the scheme of a large gathering, would you want to talk about? And so we use this gift of discernment and figuring things out in order to find ways to hold each other accountable. But yet, I think churches, what we often do is we default, like we're people of extremes, like some, you know, like, I'm just going to say it, everything I, I, you know, and, and kind of pride yourselves on, I just say everything I think, well, okay. But sometimes that creates unnecessary trauma or triggering for people. And others like, I'm never going to say anything that is going to possibly make somebody mad. I'm going to avoid that at all. And that also isn't good for us. So we, we find our faith most stretched and strengthened by that middle space thinking about when and should we hold each other accountable and say things to one another and, and, and actually um, be community in the way that the Ephesians wants us to be. Because I think right now, we can't afford not to talk with each other about how we live in the world, especially us as a community. I've been living in Palo Alto now for, gosh, you know, um, more than two years. So uh, I can't remember when we moved here. Um, so so uh, just over two years now, we've lived in, in Palo Alto and kind of have, have enjoyed and, and uh, absorbed and got to know things and all these kind of things. And I will tell you, you know, it is seductive and easy to believe that what we experience in Palo Alto in walking our neighborhoods and our streets, that that is real life and normal. And I think that one of the things that we as a community have to continue to remind ourselves of, and not just intellectually, right? Not just, yes, there's suffering in the world, let's do something about it, but, but really hold to the core and let the things in the world that we claim, and I believe we believe, you know, we are committed to fighting for justice and equity and all those things to let those really touch our soul. I mean, we every time we we now drive down El Camino or you're near um, even in Mountain View and other places and you see RVs and things and we kind of drive by them. We know what's kind of happening, but you know, housing in Palo Alto right now is you is you see some of the debates about what is appropriate or uh, affordable or all these things. When you know the reality is there are a lot of folks in Palo Alto that just want Palo Alto to stay the same. And I, you know, I think that we got to think about what does it mean for us to, to live into the stereotypes of what I heard about this place coming in and what parts are not true, but what parts are very true about housing and about who we want to be here or not be here. I saw one of our city council supervisors, our super, super council people post something publicly that talked about, oh no, basically now the Soviet Union is moving in and Russia's taken over because we want to do these things. I mean, this kind of rhetoric is exactly why people think that some of the terrible things about Palo Alto that they think. So housing, like that is a very core right here thing for those of you that think that sometimes we think too broadly and globally, that is something right now that we have to begin to think about is we, we claim to want diversity. We claim to want to, uh, to, to not want to have a, a disparity of wealth and this, these kinds of things, but yet we live that out in our very city every day as you just drive around. 
we know that there are voting rights that are going on and in this area you know it's intellectualized we we don't really see it in the same way as some other states and it's easy for us to look at them and say okay them uh, we also know that there's you know attacks on uh, on on poor people and all these I mean it's just just so much that we don't get impacted directly right here in Palo Alto. I was just at a rally yesterday put on by People Acting Community Together uh, uh, PACT, which is a local community organizing uh, around anti-Asian American violence in San Jose. And being there with, with folks who are on the ground fighting for justice and anti-carceral uh, solutions and working um, to not have everything be about police response and all of these core things that are impacting healthcare workers and people on the street and hearing these young people from high school. The best part about the rally yesterday is a young person got up and said, it's great to have all these young people and old people. And clearly the old people was me and another pastor who were there. And it was said with great love. And I love it because I know that when I talk about being old, I know many of you are like, oh, you're young, but I'm not. <laughs> but being with these folks who are kind of in the setting, right, where it's churning their gut. And these are things that many of us hold day to day. The body of Christ right now is hurt. When we look at you know, our, in our country, we look at in, since 2015, 6,400 plus people have been killed by the police. Palo Alto is a very non-policed place if you happen to be not Black. But if you are, it's very different. And I know we have people in our community whose children have experienced that or you yourselves have. But we also know that these are things that many of us get to avoid. And then there is this pandemic that is still around. And I think for many of us who live in a space where we have been, we have the resources and the privilege and the ability to really shelter and to not be forced into spaces because of means or family situation, whatever it is, where we are constantly under this pressure around the virus. But sometimes we think that we have moved on and we've been able to see in a space that the reality is the body across our country and the world is broken. And you and I have to figure out how we go about being the church in the midst of all of that, and not the kind of church that, that the Ephesians are being warned about. To be, we don't want to be the church that is just thinking about ourselves or lets our particular context dictate everything, the, how we see the world, because the context in which we live here in Palo Alto is very different than the rest of the world. And it's not easy, it's not a critique. I know that I'm a newcomer still. I'm slowly falling in love with Palo Alto. I'm not in love with it yet. I'm in deep like. But it is not easy to be church in a place like this. We have to speak truth to each other if the body is to be whole. Because we can't think of the body of our, that we are talking about when we think about the body of Christ, to just limit it to our particular corner of the world. We have to tell the truth to each other and continue to push each other when we notice and see how we might be absorbing and using that privilege only to sustain and survive in what we have with us today. Because if we don't, 
If we don't do that, if we're not able to speak the truth, we become the lie that privilege is and resentment built up inside. Maybe not all of us, but many. I don't want to be the lie that privilege tells us we have. And I don't want to be one who holds resentment for the things that, that we may do that may actually harm others. I have this question for you, and um, there's no need to share in the chat, but I want you to think about this, right? What is the resentment that you hold and why, why is, is it with you? Like, why is it with you? And you don't have to share that because that, those are very personal. Things. But what does you think about a resentment that kind of is sitting with you now, right? Like, why is it there? Like, what is that thing? Because I think this is what Ephesians is getting at, that if we hold these things back, then we only kind of, we, we become a community that eats itself up because we can't pretend that things are just fine. And that's what happens when we don't say things to each other. We don't hold each other accountable in kind ways, right? The Ephesians passage does talk about like, we, we say honest things to each other without slander, without being nasty to each other, but with kindness and compassion. But pretending that things are fine is not what we're being asked to, because that is not compassion, nor is it kind, but it's actually a lie that we would per per perpetuate in our own space, that things are all fine. Things can just keep going the way they are. I've always said that naming the division is not divisive. The divisions are there, the things are there, but it can be disruptive and kind. So I want, let me ask you this. Can you think of a time when that difficult conversation created healing? Can you think of a time where you stepped into a divisive, you know, like you were scared to do it? I, you know, I can think about a myriad of relationship kind of times where I've had to have a conversation with either Robin or a family member or something. And you don't want to have it. But then afterwards, when you do it well, like you're healed, right? And the there's strength and there's something more that is held that where you were better than you were before. Because we have to hold each other accountable without tearing apart the body, our body. We're told in Ephesians, put aside all bitterness, right? We're not coming out of that. We're not losing our temper. We're not angry. We're not shouting. We're not slandering. Anything that basically is going to tear the body down, to tear the community. We are not doing it that way. We want to do it in a way that tends and is kind to one another. That we're not falling into past patterns of, of gossip or personal attacks or letting our worst selves be the one that is interacting with each other. And I know that it is difficult to do this because it requires us to be transparent with each other. And, you know, I am one of those kinds of leaders that's super transparent with people. And, you know, I don't know if people like that or don't like it. Some people, it makes them uncomfortable. Others don't know what to do with that. You know, I think for, for some, you've grown up with pastors that, that you have a certain way of being. Others, you've, you know, it's all kinds of things. But I just happen to be a person that is transparent and it is vulnerable and it is messy. And it, sometimes it comes back to, smack me in the face, whether that's professionally or personally and all that, but I will always choose to err on the side of being more honest and kind and compassionate 
than to hold things back from what I am really experiencing. That doesn't mean that we bleed all over each other and we use the pulp. I use the pulpit as trauma and therapy, but it does mean that we're not going to pretend with each other about what the world is like or about, about where I feel like God is calling us to be or, or whatever that may be. And I hope that we can do that with each other, especially in these next months and this next year as we discern really where we want to head as a community. And I'll ask you the question, like, as you've had those conversations with each other, or you've had those conversations that have been healing, what are the elements of that that have made it healing? It's not as if they just happened, right? What are the things that you've done or you've seen or you've noticed that have made those conversations that much more healing in and of themselves? Because part of those times is being able to say to each other in kind, compassionate, maybe even strong ways, here's what I believe, and to hear the other person do the same. But it's not easy. But we risk this because Christ showed us life and love. We risk this because this idea, this grand amorphous pie in the sky idea about being community comes to us because Christ risked this death, right? The, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that, that all of that whole thing, it's not as if being community comes without some risk to relationship. If, if it did, we would just do this well all the time. But by stepping into these spaces, we do risk death of relationship. Now, we trust there is new life the end of the day, but part of the difficulty is to, to say things to each other and with each other that we may know will create um, more disruption than we're comfortable with. Because I do think today the body of Christ, it is broken and it is being denied around the world. And I think in, in no other time right now, it's pandemic it's the racial reckoning that continues to happen. It is the attack on poor people and on our voting rights and the very way we engage in community. It's climate change and the way in which we understand our role. It's the incarceration system and policing and the way it impacts brown and black communities in ways that many of us may or may never under fully understand. It impacts the ways in which that we just move through the world. And I hope that we as a community that, that sits in a pocket of wealth and privilege, sits in a pocket of great joy and opportunity and resources, and in our particular church, I have no doubt a great theological, ideological, political will and commitment to be different, that we have to double down on our commitment to be the body of Christ today and to see ourselves beyond just who we are in this particular place. Because if we don't do that, we become the lie that privilege has taught us to be. And we don't want to be that. I'm going to close with a prayer, a poem, really. Um, um, by Reverend M. Barclay. And I, I use this because in particular, I think about our pandemic today and how we are going to address what may be coming next and all the ways in which, and I know there's a lot of people in our communities uh, that are addressing 
uh, not just church, but life in general. And I've already heard about different changes in communities and how each of you are handling and everybody, if I asked on a scale of one to 10, what your risk tolerance right now with one being, ah, I'll do whatever to 10 being it's super high. Like I'm not doing anything. I, I know that everybody's anxiety levels are across the board around the pandemic. But here's the thing that I want us to remember is that in our particular spaces, maybe even in our local communities and maybe even in our church, we may have a certain life and world and experience, but we step out of that and it's different. And we have to understand who we are and how we are to be as the body of Christ. So I want to end with a poem by Reverend M. Barclay. I will share this out. If you subscribe to the back of the bulletin, you'll get this on Monday. And this is a poem that uh, I've read multiple times over the past few days and has just touched me each time. And so I feel like I will end us with this. Individualism is destructive. Send greed and selfishness away. That learned refusal to acknowledge your own need for help, let it be gone as well. When possible, counter all impulses towards privatized survival with acts of love, collective and expansive, with caring for others and accepting care. Remember, we need each other. Remember the needs of your neighbors, literal and metaphorical. Remember the vulnerable. Remember, we are in this together even when we don't act like it. People depend on your choices you depend on the choices of others. This a sacred and terrible truth woven into our flesh. So let this time be an opening to all the sources of connection we have lost in this era of pushing down, pushing through, pushing away, and pushing the pace. Let all that is soft, all that is slow, all that is gentle, all that is kind, all that is careful, be welcome home in each of us. We have such creative, powerful, generous, and brave capacities within us. We can choose to do things differently. My friends, this community, when it comes to the bodies around us, yours, mine, ours. Let's choose to live our lives with love. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God that calls us into community, sometimes without our consent, you draw us into spaces where we are forced to acknowledge that the body is greater than those and that that we may have known before. Help us to speak and to hold one another accountable so that we can continue to fulfill the commitment to the larger body of Christ that we are so faithful to, that we yearn so much for healing and hope so that we may be a people who live with love in this particular part of the world. And so that love may be known and ripple through the world beyond our own borders and doors. We thank you for this challenge and this gift this day. Help us to see the world as connected to us, even when we don't act like it. 
We pray all this in the name of Christ and all God's people say, amen.